1: The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. Learn more at NavyFederal.org.
2: Alright everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. My name is Andrew, hanging out in the studio with Marcus and Melanie today. Hello, how are you guys mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. What's up? What's up? Hey, uh, if you haven't already, guys, check us out on YouTube. We're dropping our episodes every single week on our YouTube channel. We've got 60, 70,000 subscribers, something like that. We'd love it if you join us there and make sure you follow us on social media. You can stay up to date with everything we've got going on. Let's kick this thing off with a Patreon question of the day. If you have to sing karaoke, what is your go-to karaoke song?
3: That's a great question. I'm just actually thinking
1: about this. Everybody's got to go down this one,
3: man. I I know mine. Can I give two answers? Please. All right. Number one, I'm going to give a duet, and that's for my wife who's in the room, and that's These Eyes by The Guess Who. (laughs) And uh, if this goes well, we'll maybe do a little rendition later on. Any guy in the military, if you can't sing, because
2: I could I can't I don't even sing in the shower. All right. I mean that's a real thing, dude. I you know from um she's lost that love and feeling. Yeah. I mean, because so you got you got your buddy right there, whatever it is you're going to tackle. Got, Top gun throwback. Yeah, there you go. Worse. I mean, just you're gonna, you don't even have to sing good.
4: <laughs> I'm a nineties uh era kid, so mine would be something R and B like Belbiv DeVoe or <laughs> or like uh, Vanilla Ice or something like that. Such a
2: great song. Ice Ice baby. There's a shout
3: out to Vanilla Ice.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm,
4: I'm totally a 90s kid, so. Because
3: anybody can get away with singing that. That's right.
4: Yeah.
3: If I'm going solo, I'm I'm going with um, Suspicious Minds by Elvis.
4: Oh, nice.
3: I l- love to belt Elvis that out. The Beatles are a good one. Yeah.
4: And you like Frank Sinatra. For an Frank, frank. <laughs> yes. frank,
2: that's what happens when you throw Frank in my head. Yes, yeah. Frank.
4: That's the moon one that you always listen
2: to. Fly me to the moon. Fly, Fly me, me to the moon. moon. Yeah. Yeah. that's life's probably one of the best ones. That is, yeah. Mm-hmm. During quarantine, I I don't know, Jamie that one. Old he school kick. Listen
4: to it every day during quarantine.
2: I just want to learn how to slow down. I forgot how to do that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. We we forget how to do that. Sure. I mean, and it's it's nothing personal. It's just like even in in the middle of the moment. There are some blessings that did come out of that thing. I would start prepping for the next one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the the best part of the book and the movie and usually the event is the end. I've already passed that. I, even if I was present for it, I was past it, right? Yeah. How they do that to us? Yeah. How does that happen? It's I didn't even know that, that was happening. Yeah. And until so we started fishing. And then I couldn't get out of that. And, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about anything. It was just it kind of taught itself. It's like your mind just. In order to truly clear it out, you got to clear it out. Mm-hmm. And I got on them old school mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra and the, the, the Rat Pack and all of them. Yeah, yeah and
3: big bands. Yeah, and sit there all day. It's hard not to belt that out when you're feeling it. Man, yeah. right?
1: That's right.
3: <laughs> That's that was a good. Good, Patreon. Man. Good, good, man. good,
1: good question. Hey guys, if you want to ask your question to the guest to the host, check us out at Patreon.com/teamneverquit. You get exclusive access to the show. We do live streams, ask me anything. we send out a cool challenge coin, all kind of cool stuff. Check it out at Patreon. We've got a great guest in store today. Dr. Donnelly Wilkes is the founder of Summit Health Group and the author of Code Red Fallujah, which is the firsthand narrative of Wilkes' role in the Battle of Fallujah. Dr. Wilkes, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, pumped. Let's, we gotta, you got to take us back and just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your, your growing up. That way we can kind of set the stage for everything else that follows. Because when you hear doctor, everyone automatically assumes, and I don't know why
2: this is, that you're, you're born into that family, you live in this huge house already, and people like, you have to be a doctor.
3: And so. That's not how this all works out all the time. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I'll actually touch on that as, as we get into the story. Uh, but to start from origins, I was born in Los Angeles. When we were young, my parents moved to Northern California. That's where California keeps its rednecks. We are in a small and town. And it's beautiful. No one knows that, though. Beautiful. No what one knows North NorCal is awesome. I mean, we're,
4: what town?
3: El Dorado County is the county. Um, Placerville is the most well-known town. But you know how a bunch of little small towns, sometimes they fit together, and it's yeah. it's all called one thing. So my my actual town was El Dorado. Mm-hmm. Placerville is the kind of known town because it's off of Highway 50 as you go into South Lake Tahoe. So we're in the foothills mm-hmm. um, in uh, Northern California, and uh, loved it. It was great to... Uh, Five brothers, an older sister who came into my life later in my life, so that's another story for a different day. But uh, we're six, and um, and I'm the oldest. I have an identical twin. I'm twin B. We were talking about that earlier. It's different, right? <laughs> it's different.
2: Uh, are, are y'all mirrors? So are you right-handed, he's left-handed? Yes. Okay, we're
3: mirrors, too. We are. We're mirrors. And a lot of people don't know don't about don't the mirror thing. They don't know thing. what those are. Isn't that I, wild? It's
2: funny. It is. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't know. It's kind of growing up and getting out and running to other twins. Yeah. Each one of us kind of holds one of those little keys yeah. kind of deal. And our brother's not from the womb to the tomb. We came into this world together. We're going to leave it together. I was surprised. Back in didn't the day, I didn't even know. Had no idea.
3: I was telling you earlier, the only way my mom knew is X-ray. Two skulls.
2: Yeah,
3: oh my gosh. Uh, we were uh, y- y'all are close. Real close. Same yeah, same. yeah, Yeah. His name's Riley. And then it's uh, John Michael Brady. Hi. So anyways, uh, raised there. Um, we had some military roots in the family. In fact, we just saw today as we were driving in uh, today, my grandparents who are uh, World War II, you know, baby boomers, uh, they would they were born. On the same day, and today would have been their 101st birthday. Aww. So kind of oh, a nice. neat little tribute to them. Jack and Kay Wilkes. Uh, he was a P-38 pilot, shot down in the war, in North Africa, and uh, crash landed, survived. Wonderful oh, story. Wow. That's a gra- great story. Isn't that great? And you say
2: when we say it like that, some people are like, what are you talking about? He got shot. I was like, dude, yeah. that's a great story. I because mean, yeah. I I mean, well, the fact going, that he survived. survived through yeah. all that yeah. that's North crazy. Africa by the Germans. It's not supposed to be one of those deals where
3: you mope around about I was like, no, no, you lived through that talk about it he uh he raised the stars and stripes he my my father built their house he's a contractor michael wilkes and he built their house just down the street from us and he'd raise the stars and stripes on his flagpole every day and Aww. retire them at at uh, you know dusk yeah.
2: dude i've raised ours up Put the almost am that's under <laughs> other laziness, right <laughs> yes sir pulling not pulling it <laughs> down at night that's that show was for me yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my father was a contractor. My mom raised us; that was her job. Uh, he applied for military service, was rejected for an injury. Applied to get into uh, sheriff's and police academies later in life, and did that kind of a second career. So we had those roots growing up. Uh, my mother's uh, father, Joe Zemba, he was also an army guy out in out in Hawaii. So I never had, you know, the thought from a young age that I'm going to join the military but those roots were there. And uh, as I went through high school and then entering college, I went to the University of California, Irvine, and uh, I was just going into college trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I had interest in a lot of things, uh, kind of dabbling in the medical world. I was talking with my dad one day out in the, out in the hot tub up on our, our lawn and said, oh, I might want to be a physical therapist. And dad looked at me and he's like, that's pretty good, but um, why don't you just be a doctor? And uh, I said, well, that's a lot of school, Dad, you know? And But he's like, yeah. everybody's <laughs> first reply, is <isn't laughs> Man, it seems like <laughs> an awful lot school. of school. <laughs> <laughs> that well, was, that wasn't good enough for him. He always pushed me to seek higher levels, and that was the first time it entered my mind. But as soon as he said that, I really didn't look back. That was my goal. Now, I wasn't always the smartest kid in the class. I just went out work, and um, that doesn't mean I didn't do well and wasn't at the top of my class, but man, once you get to the top echelons of whatever you do, there's just, there's always somebody who's better.
2: Yeah, and in that world too, when they say medical is like speaking Greek, because it is, right? Yeah. That, that, that whole language. terminology and, and everything, and you get into that world, especially with, with the body, because it's an unknown universe, right? Yeah. And you, once you get good uh, handle A and P and how things work and how they're and how to bypass them and do all that, then you get into the thinking of like, all right, what is this thing really capable of? And when you're dealing with those guys, that shouldn't be a graded. That's not a graded thing, right? That's when the minds are supposed to come together. It's it's pretty cool to when you to be around y'all when, when there's a bunch of y'all thinking like that.
3: Yeah, and it, it, that fascinated me. That that unknown part, like you said, you know, there's you know, subcellular things that. That's, that's, we can't even see that, but that's how our body works. So, you know, micro uh, uh, histology, you know, th- those are the courses where you kind of see those things that you can't visibly see with your eye and it kind of takes you to another level. So I loved all that. I loved the science. I was a little bit of a nerd, a little bit of, na- of an athlete. And um, that, uh, that just kind of pushed me to, to seek the next level of education. Plus I was sick of working on the job with my dad on, uh, <laughs> as a contractor. So again, that pushed me into education and um, I, pl- I applied to n- numerous medical schools had a tough time that first year started looking at well you know what are some other avenues how, how can i pay for this that was another thing and then a navy recruiter got a hold of me and you know pushed this brochure across the table what do you think about the navy you know health professions scholarship and basically you apply for it if you're accepted then they will pay for your medical school of choice oh, wow that's great great deal, got deal. a great program in the navy. so i applied i was accepted but hadn't um, achieved acceptance to medical school yet. But I was on the hunt, and um, Tulane was one of them. The dean there really liked military medical students. He, he would take a few each year. We would look for them. So that, uh, that was one of my uh, strong applications, and I got in. So at that point, I said yes to the Navy. And it's, it's, a, it's one of those things where you really – you are committing to you know, seven years of active duty service after medical school, and you don't know much about that life at all because you haven't even gone to medical school yet, but they're gonna pay for it, and so that's the deal. And as soon as you graduate medical school after those four years, you're commissioned, but you have to make the commitment in advance. So that was throwing it on the line a little bit. But I made the right choice in the end. Um, it, 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 it suited me, it fit me. During medical school, they'd, they'd pluck the military students for a month out of each year while the others were taking a little rest and relaxation. They'd send us out to um, do various things. We, we'd go to our version of officer training at Newport, Rhode Island. Um, the nurses and docs were, were there, we'd put on the uniform, march around, yell at us a little bit. It's our version of boot camp. And then, uh, you know, another month we'd go out to Texas and a couple other states and do some field, you know, combat casualty care courses. And uh, that's it. They're learning, you know, teaching you how to prepare for life in the military.
2: What do you think would work better? Or is it, does it work just fine to, if you, for people to come in in the military? Say, hey, look, I'll send you to college first. Go get your degree. Then you have to come in and serve or do it the other way around. Or both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because if it was that easy, he's like, "Hey, I'm here, and I'll send you to school. Just get in there. Yeah. Here's the money and everything." I mean, that would alleviate so much,
3: you know, what worked, stress. It would. And uh, to answer your question, what worked for me and what they've done even more so now is they'll offer a stipend, kind of a signing bonus. Yeah. yeah. So you sign on. They've increased it a lot now, and uh, you no, sign kidding.
2: on. Kidding. I. We won't get into that one, man. Yeah. I'll <laughs>
3: So we should go back through. I know.
2: That's
1: what I said. <laughs> I right? Just lo- go back through the whole thing. thing
3: <laughs> Plus, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Right? Anyways, good signing bonus. And then um, you know, I lived well during medical school. I had, I had money to live in a nice you know apartment in New Orleans. Uh, I lived there for six and a half years. And uh, then on the other end, of course, was the, was the commitment. So I think something up front to answer is the yeah. way to go
2: You couldn't have lined us out any better. I think program-wise, because the the movie we we grew up with, just the overall attitude, it was it's kind of like, hey, we were almost like we were geared for it in in the back of our heads. We didn't even know it. Children of divorce, right? Yeah. I mean, that whole era when everything melted together, and then we we get into a war with no with enemy with no face. Yeah. And you back that up, just getting us in is, is tough in some generations. Yes. But but that whole – I'll never – coming out of – and all the guys coming out of the military that I see going to the universities now, crush it. It's not even a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's less than a thing. But coming out of high school – well, I guess there's your answer right there. Some people come straight out of high school and they're ready for further education. Some people don't know what they want to do. Man, sign up, go on an adventure because that's what we went on. That's right. Ultimately, you back it up. That's what it was.
3: It was an adventure. And, you know, the Iraq brochure didn't exist when I was signing up. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, hey, you know, you'll do a Westpac tour. And, you know, you might go on a ship or maybe do station overseas. But uh, that all changed, you know, when the Twin Towers so came down. So what
4: year were you at Tulane? I was a fourth year. Um, but what year was that?
3: Oh, that was 2001. Okay. I That was a fourth year. I had just met Katie on a trip back home, and uh, I, would, I went back out to finish up my fourth year. And um, September 9/11, uh, I was finishing my rotations and uh, you know looking at the future. Had had my choice of duty station. That was Pendleton Naval Hospital, and life was looking good. And you know, of course, I didn't know exactly how, but that day, you know, I'll never forget it. We gathered around a little TV station uh, in the hospital I as I was going on rounds, and. Uh, just had this sense something big would change for me we talked that night katie and i and uh, we both you know kind of just shared our fears and sadness and the unknown parts of you know the future of our lives and uh it didn't it didn't uh <laughs> it, it it was everything and and nothing like i expected let's put it that way oh my gosh i
2: remember that too i was just finishing up with my all my training. Right when that dropped, kind of at the end of it. Right when you were just getting to where, I was like primed us in right for that
3: that launch because
2: everything Augusted kicked, 18
4: a, Delta, which kicked is, after that. Um, the medic, the SF medic training. Yes,
3: I was reading about that, and you guys have a lot of medical training. Oh, I was impressed.
4: It, like had to do rotations. Oh, it was in the, the best. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: I
2: mean. Everything that we had, field trauma, but mm-hmm. when they would so I went to Tampa Bayfront and worked in there. So we went everything from working in the ER to L and D. By the time I came out of there, I had seventeen babies underneath. I mean, I was dropping <laughs> chest tubes. We were crikes. <laughs> <you> they were really? just <laughs> to cut downs, and then they would send us to, out into the field to do those the, the field training with the live yeah. tissue, which was the best. Yes, the only reason I got half them guys back alive was because of that. Yeah, and I know people protest that, but I'm like, which, I'm telling you, it's it's invaluable. It was invaluable, and we yeah, had the the, the, the cadaver labs and all, yeah, we had the cadaver labs and all that stuff, and that's how I learned A and P. And when you learn how the body works, it made me really well. It makes us really proficient at taking a life mm-hmm. if you know how op, it functions. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm about? <laughs> and we teach each one of our guys that.
3: Yeah.
4: So as you were finishing up med school, same he was mm. finishing up 18 Delta, which is their same thing med school. Yeah. So.
3: The L and D thing. I just I read that and I just laughed at it because I was thinking, what on earth? Why,
2: <laughs> Why would earth he does earth does a know <laughs> have to
3: deliver a
1: baby? Right.
3: Don't think that didn't come out of
2: my mind either because it's completely different when you're running running in there and it's like when we get strapped with the SF guys when they're living in the indigenous because they have to do the fit the foreign internal defense and the village ops and there's a chance you could. Right, have to that's do that. That's what
3: made sense. You're out on these unknown parts of the world. You, n- you never know. Who knows?
2: Yeah. So when it came to the training with us, it was like, I guess the guys like, hey, what if this happens? We're like, man, let's just train them to do everything. And that's what we were. Even with you, once you, our initial compounds that we came out was one thing. Once our wars kicked off, they dropped us into one spot, and we just started melting yeah. together. Everything you learned you, that yeah. passed down through trauma, yeah. made it to me. Yep. <laughs>
4: When I was pregnant with Axe, he's like, I can deliver? And I'm like, oh, hell no, that is not happening. Like, I got this. I don't even want you, like, from waist down. You need to stand up for my head. You are not going to be involved. That was
3: that was mentioned a number of times with my wife. Hey, are you going to deliver? And I said, hell no. Are you yeah. out of your mind? Yeah. The, no. no. I didn't want to be there. It's <laughs> fine I was like, being there, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. the uh, last thing I want is if something goes wrong, it's on my hands.
4: Right. Oh I was getting gosh. upset
3: because it,
2: it totally switched on me with the first birth because she was in so much pain. So I was getting yeah. upset. Oh, yeah. he was something was causing so, her pain. Yeah. Like when kid yeah. first came, I was like, Oh, I love my kid. I, I was kind of mad at him. Actually, you know, I was like, hey. He's like, You caused your mom. Like, caused pain. Your mother so much pain in the
3: beginning. I was like, This is. It was a fight. I mean, she didn't have.
2: We're off topic, man, I'm sorry. I know, but it's an
3: unreal event, it's an unreal event. I've delivered 80 plus and every single one is like the most intense thing ever, unreal event. Females are amazing. I I chose this life in the military and um, I I knew part of what that meant. But 9-11, you know, changed it drastically. But even then I didn't know how it was gonna change things. So just to give you a little bit of the path after medical school for me, It's kind of cool. Graduation, you know, happens. We're in a big auditorium in New Orleans and, you know, dancing down the aisles with the, with the um, umbrellas and feel like rock stars. Just the best day of my life. And then the military students are, after the ceremony, they're called to a little side room. Naval officer's sitting there. There's your orders sitting right there on the desk. You sit down, repeat the oath and boom, you're, that's it. You're in the Navy. And then you go celebrate and everybody, you know, goes on their normal lives. So, I obtained my match to my residency of choice at Pendleton, got to come back to the San Diego area, live near Katie, and um, then it's residency. So for me, it was three years. In the civilian world, every physician has to go through... You got it.
2: to do th- you got to do your residency?
3: Yep. Oh, that's A- cool. At, at Pendleton. That's cool. Naval cool. Hospital. At least you got to do it, though. Right. And, and so part of it, and I'll, and, and I'll explain as we go forward, and part of it was in San Diego. We'd go down there and train at Balboa. So every civilian has to complete uh, all three to seven, up to seven years, you know, if you're a super subspecialty of residency training, under supervising, you know, attending physicians to practice medicine independently. Military, for military um, residents, they can pluck you out. So they plucked me out after one year. Part of it was a request. Part of it I chose. I had a little bit, I had a request, you know, type thing. I, I could request, you know, to go blue side. They told me I'm coming out. Blue side, or green side, said, I'm going to go green side for a few different reasons. So I knew I was going to go with the Marines. And so I chose that path, but I was a baby doctor, you know, just one year of internship training. Um, oh, really? Yep. Just one year. Really? Post-med school. That's what you came out? What'd you go in as? What would you want? What'd you want to start at? What kind of doc? Family medicine, family physician slash sports medicine. Because they always say what you
2: go in is not what you come out as, right? Yeah. I I, switch halfway. Is that true?
3: I I was toggling between emergency medicine and being a family physician. That's that's in my head growing up in our smaller town. The family physician was the guy I looked up to. And so that's what I wanted to be. And so that was my residency at Pendleton for family medicine. But, you know, internship year, that's kind of like, this is not, not a good comparison, but that's kind of like the, the buds, you know, indoctrination. You've, you're just put to the test. You're on call every third night. You're doing, you know, 24, 36-hour shifts. And some people don't make it. Some people, after all of that work, medical school and everything, they don't make it all the way through.
5: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
0: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
5: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
0: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba
5: da ba ba ba.
2: That's to simulate mass casualties, right? Ultimately, for civilians, is when they when when they get when they beat them down like that. It, it's if you yeah, get overrun or something.
3: Yeah, it's it. Yes, it's can you
2: operate under pressure? Because it is a bud string. I, I complete. There's not. That's not an insult. I mean, I yeah. I, I get I, my caduceus just as important as. That's hard to get.
3: Yeah. It, it's can you operate under that pressure yeah. and being sleep deprived and doing procedures and really important things and do it well, you know, and you know, to your point when we were talking earlier about how things have changed a little bit and you got this kind of older guy mentality, they changed the rules after I went through residency to you can only work so many hours before you got to oh, break. Oh, I
2: heard about that. They <laughs> did that on a couple of things. Yep. And while I was in, I was like, man, I wish they would change this to this, right? And then the minute we had to go through it and they changed it, it was like, no, wait a minute. Yeah.
3: Well, it, well now y'all aren't as tough as we are. That's and that's right. how
2: that gets through. It's like there's always something, right? Isn't that funny? That's hilarious, you
3: And, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a guy thing. Or, or a doctor thing. There's plenty of females I was with. And all of us who went through that They just felt like, man, that badge of honor, it had been that way, you know, internship and residency training for as long as I can remember as tradition in medicine. And so across the board, the the residency board said, you know, for some good reasons that, hey, we've got to limit the hours. So they changed that. They have also since changed in the military. They will not pull residents out anymore for active duty like I was. So they pulled me out to go active duty because it's wartime. And
2: they needed me. Well, I got that, so we just have a—oh, they, they went back to the—
3: They have to complete all the same consecutive years of residency training before they can go on active duty. At, in, during my period and, uh, you know, the Iraq War, they plucked me after one. So I'm assigned to 1st Battalion, 5th Marines at Camp Pendleton. And I remember that day I go into the detailer's office, and he says, all right, Lieutenant Wilkes, you know, there's a few battalions you can go with. Some will be stateside for a while. Some are ramping up. Stuff's going down in the Middle East. He wouldn't say what. We knew it was in and around Fallujah and Ramadi and that kind of thing. And I had, you know, just seconds to kind of, he he was asking me what I would prefer. And I I just kind of computed in my head, hey, I'm going no matter what. Let's just get this done. Let's just go. And so I said, ready, sir, let's do it. You know, I'll I'll go with whatever infantry battalion is uh, ready to go soonest. He said, all right, that's great. Any other doctors that you would gel with in short order? Because we've got a battalion getting ready to go. And so I have my pool of fellow you know, Navy docs. And uh, I said, yes, sir, Lieutenant O'Connor, you'll have to ask him how he feels about it. But him and I, you know, we're pals and roommates from Tulane. We're in internship together. He's, he's the guy I think I want and so i just remember kind of chuckling <laughs> hope hope uh, cormac's okay with that <laughs> so he brings in lieutenant no Oh, no i didn't ask you probably <laughs> want to stay back in the rear right i didn't know <laughs> but it was just the honest truth you know and I, I knew we were going to be going into some serious situations and and he was my bro so he, he was ultimately fine with it he told me and uh plus he's gets to hear his name on this podcast so you're welcome cormac <laughs> love you buddy worth it was all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> because that's funny,
2: I've had a couple of guys, my brother even got one of his buddies into that, too. I was like, yeah. you, I was just wanting to chill for a second. Well, good yeah. news, you don't have to, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's right.
3: So within months, you know, uh, our battalion was, was trained and ready to go, and um, we shipped out to Okinawa first for two and a half to three months so the Marines could go through just some... Yeah, they left you all there for a while, right? Yeah, three mm-hmm. months, Camp Hanson. They had set up, you know, um, a little town, so the marines could you know practice Practicing. assault and urban combat and man that was wild i had to tell you the adrenaline rush you were talking about on pendleton they take me on some night raids you know hey doc let's go and you know they were going to simulate some injured marines and have us have us do some kazovacs and things like that and man it was like uh living in a movie but i didn't know i was quite ready for this movie you know it was such a just a whirlwind from being in this prestigious medical school, Tulane, which I just love to death and have nothing but great things to say about, to boom, now you're in the military, put on the uniform, and you right got to live this life. And then 9-11 in Iraq, and it happened in such short order. Yeah, there's no good, yeah. skipped a bunch of, right? There's yeah, No training. <laughs> you, know, you just can't prepare for that. As much as you train and prepare for, for war and going into that combat environment, for me especially, you know, you're a trained warrior, but... I know this now. I didn't know it then. I, I thought I was, you know, prepared to the nth degree, and you know, I talk about this in the book a little bit because all of it's hindsight. But going back, um, I, I wasn't as fully prepared as uh, as I could have been or should have been, type thing. And uh, that hit me as I was going deeper and deeper into deployment.
2: Oh yeah. Oh no. Well, this is what this is. I know exactly what that is. Yeah. This is how we explain Imagine everything we'd ever been taught in those schools. We are trained professionals. Mm-hmm. You're, you went through that academy. This is just as hard as what we had to go through, that mind, because it'll beat your body up just yeah. as well. So imagine everything we ever learned was sitting there, like, just tacked in. Yeah. And war drives all that in there. Yeah. I mean, hits every one of those tacks, and when it comes home, you're like, oh, now I know. Because the reading and applying and even going over it in the field stuff—that's one thing. But when you have to step in there and get after it, I mean, when they—I'll they, never forget when they looked at us. Our uniforms were still brand new, but it didn't take long for them to get messed up and what they—they what they were supposed to look like, kind of deal. I'll never forget that. Why that resonates in my head, but I remember that when all of us showed up.
5: And
3: w- when when you know when the S hits the fan, you you have this. I, I explain it as this file drawer of skills for me it's medical skills that it's there and you got to access it and sometimes it takes a minute to remember how to access it but you do because that's what you're trained for and and it clicks in but man sometimes there's this pause and like wow is this real number one and i did that many times I, i i won't lie you know just entering this world of of you know from being a trained healer that was my main mission a healer but yet I've got a 9 millimeter pistol strapped to my vest right next to my scalpel and I'm trained how to use it had to and I was thankful for that. By the way, I also grabbed a couple of marines and said, "Hey, show me how to use that M16. I might need <laughs> I might need it." Of course, they showed me. And so this 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 world, this dichotomy, this juxtaposition was was really wild for me uh, as we went deeper into, you know, the deployment into Fallujah and then ultimately, you know, my battalion was one of the two battalions spearheading that initial attack in the first battle of Fallujah. Crazy. Keep going. This is good stuff. Man, I I keep going. All right. (laughs) Here's when it, uh, I like this part of the story because I don't know how often it happened. Um, Our battalion flew from Okinawa, a couple pit stops into Kuwait. And then we were one of the first Marine Corps battalions turning over with the army because things weren't going well. And it was kind of like, all right, Marines, you're up. That was my interpretation of it. General Mattis was the, you know, 1st Marine Division commander, commanding officer. So anyways, um, we knew we were heading into Fallujah. And so from Kuwait, the entire battalion
5: assembles. And for a week, we did convoy training, convoy ops. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Sandwich. But you're the Filet-O-Fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, they dropped us in K&B too. We've been through there. Yeah. It's built up now.
3: It was like, it was like the Wild West. That's, oh. that's what I, that's how when felt people like that asked too, me, it? it felt like the Wild West, like ghost town, not, not ghost towns. Cause some of them were, were ramping up, not, not ramping down, but you would, you know, our convoy took three days, 50 to 75 vehicles, bullets and band-aids, everything to sustain that battalion to do anything, which was just unbelievable to me. What the United States military could mobilize and then put on wheels.
2: Pretty cool machine, isn't it?
3: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And um, so for three days, we'd make these pit stops at ghost towns, western towns, I call them, for fuel, sleep, sleep on the ground, sleep in the back of the ambulance, and then gear up, and we're going again. Stop for IEDs, and then the second night, I'll never forget it, I'm sleeping in the back of the Humvee.
0: also, the Humvees were like the old school Humvees, yeah. Not the new ones. They were yeah. open. Oh humvees. yeah, no, no, chop tops. You know what I mean? Like yeah. hey, we would
2: chop tops, just to take doors off. <laughs> yeah. I would say when you said IEDs, because there was a shift throughout the years from when, yeah. when the beginning when we were roll slick or naked as opposed to <laughs> triple armor, you know, quad up on the sides. Behold.
3: Yes. From the first deployment for me, which was 2003 and four to 2008, my second. It was night and day. Night and day. The vehicles. Completely the technology. Opposite. Wow. It was impressive.
2: Completely awesome. And that's when we went back knowing. Yes. I mean, there are times when I thought we over They They give us that tech so we make it quick. hmm And, you know, sometimes we can over-tech ourselves to when, what are we, okay, what's our bottom line? We're supposed to go in here and whip them? All right, I don't need all this to do that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I just need to that <laughs> right. guy right
2: there and just, you know, yeah. get, get us in there and get that done. And then it just started going so dynamic. It's like we turned into our own thing.
3: Yeah, and I can see that for you, just the, the, the little bit of extra gear that's weighing you down, that's not good. For me, uh, you know, in medicine, we want the best, most advanced capabilities we can possibly have at all times. And the Marine Corps motto, among many, is to do more with less. Yeah, of course. That wasn't my motto. So I was trying to adapt to this whole motto. And, you know, when we went on deployment, they said, all right, Doc, here's your your cans, metal cans. This is what you get to fit your medical supplies in. And I just looked and said, oh, my gosh, for a thousand guys, and how how do I figure this out? And that's where I'd grab some of those senior Navy corpsmen and say, hey, Chief, come here. How do we fill this thing for war? But we did it. You know, we just got it out and make lists, and everything we had was was in those cans, more with less. And it worked. That was first deployment. That did...
2: I remember going out the door, I had everything, like yeah. everything got issued. Yeah. And then towards the end, I had one bag and a <laughs> yeah. do more with less kind of deal. That that also comes with it, that experience. Because once we started, the tourniquets actually do work. You can't absolutely occlude it unless you have a cargo sh- I mean, those little things that we picked up going through that field training, because mm-hmm. whatever y'all would teach us down, then we would have to bastardize it to make it work in the field, just, just like you you did. That's the best internship or, or excuse, residency you had was war. Yes, Thousand percent. Because now you cut through. It's cool to have that Gucci stuff, but I mean, you can bare neck at that and get in there and do what it does. Yep. That that's the cool part. I remember seeing all the docks, especially after a long time. They had that. you all get a different look. It's not a thousand yard stare because you're not looking that far. You look. It's weird. You can always tell when you got it, man. It's like.
3: <laughs> yeah, you 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 just. You increase the level of calmness you can have under under fire, so to speak, or just in tough situations. And it's
2: not a jaded thing.
3: No, there's a huge difference. It's yeah. just like,
2: and that brings peace to us. Yeah, I was talking to one of the docs, and they rolled this kid and had been shot through the face. I mean, it was bad, and he was sitting there talking to me, dealing with. It. He's like, that's yeah, because once you learn how everything works and responds, it, it, that that knowledge, right. yeah, man, it's just crazy.
3: And it's not an overconfidence thing either.
2: It's just it's
3: just a skill,
2: competence. Yeah.
3: I've told Katie, because we've been at a couple community or even family events where a family member went down or passed out or I've been on a plane a couple of times. Is there a doctor in the house? And she no. <laughs> I said, babe, when, when we get, when this thing, you know, when someone calls is, give me a 1,000, 2,000, 5 count, just a 5 count, because some stuff happens and some hysterics Go out the door in those first five to ten seconds, and then I can move in, and and things have cleared out, and I can start doing what I do. So, anyways, that's just like you were saying. You know, you learn you learn those little little, little things that help you in those intense environments. So, to Katie's point, as we're rolling up into to uh, towards Fallujah, and um, we make these stops, we're grabbing up armor, and we're you know commandeering, and my corpsman grabs some metal plates and throw them back of the ambulance and say, Hey doc, here's a little metal for you because they were just these thin, you know, walls on the Humvees. So that was the way it was. I think we were learning as we went a little bit, you know, the, the, the military was learning in the environment and understanding the enemy. And, you know, we we were, we were figuring it out and we were ramping up just like back in the days of world war one and two increasing production and getting the equipment out to the troops. So it was kind of bare bones back then. The one night I was going to mention where it all came full circle is it's pitch black. And, you know, out there in, in Iraq, it is, it's the blackest black night I've ever seen. And I'd climb up through the cab into the front, my corpsmen driving. And, uh, I look out on the horizon and there's the fire rigs. Those incendiary little evil flames, you know, way out in the distance that Saddam had lit on fire. And, um, I just, thought to myself, okay, this is, if I didn't, if I didn't believe it's real, this is real. That's where we're headed. Yeah. We're not going away from that. We're going towards it.
0: <laughs>
2: it's everyone so, you see it. Uh, yeah. I mean, TV does a great job at a lot of things, man, but there's just something different And it the smells there too. And all yes. those, when that, when all those are activated together, it kind of creates this. It does. Man. I'll never forget rolling in there on the first time either. It's almost if when the war machine goes in that everybody back here just pauses for a second and lets us get in there and bare bones it to figure out what's what. Get acclimated back because a lot of times they throw all that tech. We went in Vietnam tech, like the flak jackets, it's kind of in the stuff in the beginning, and then some of that stuff was too heavy. It didn't operate. In this, and then you see now after 20 years of war, what these operators are have now. It's so slick and maneuverable. The med yeah. bags, I mean, all that stuff. It's just the tourniquets, the the the, the, the Ashman chest seal, that whole thing, it all kind of. And that's because people getting out there and bleeding. Yeah, I mean, it it is in itself a a teaching tool. Yeah, especially for the medical profession.
3: Absolutely, hundred percent. Those you know after-action reports, which you know I was able to come home and you know talk about lessons learned and things like that. And nothing can change what you do more than that real-life experience. And so you're right; they've they've streamlined a lot of things in the medical field.
2: Didn't you have one of those old leather? She buys me journals every year, so I could write in with an old paper on it. It's like, this is the field surgeon. Like that, if you have this at hand, <laughs> slap it on. <laughs> like the, that, that kitchen sink medicine that we had yeah. to figure out when you're out in the middle of nowhere and people are getting hurt. Yeah. Because that stuff does work. Did you have quick clot?
3: Yeah, yeah. On your part of your now, it, yeah.
2: it came in, in cycles because the, the initial would burn yeah. the, on the outside. Right. So they were like, oh, you got to cut it open. I'm like, I'm not going to. Yeah. What? Yeah. And then the other stuff had the the, the seashells and the shrimp that but they had to crystallize in there. And yeah. it, so you had to cut that away. So that was causing more problems for y'all. So then they changed it. And then it went from everything from a Vaseline dressing to all the way down.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, the best now is that foam, right? You just put that sucker in there and hit him with that. And then give him that fentanyl lollipop tape to his hand yeah. And get his ass to you. We didn't have That's, that. What, that was our protocol. Yeah. If I could sit on him for 72 hours with a water hose and a pocket knife. But other than that, it was all you doc. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But knowing that each one of you had those skills you know, had to be uh, uh, just an immense amount of confidence in, in your it teammates. It was, and we got that from that. y'all.
2: We were trained by y'all. All my, in my rotations, it was it was military doctors. And then 9-11 had just dropped. And, and, and so we, we were kind of sitting there, and they, they looked at us, and they're like, let me teach you something. And they would pull us in, and we had cart blonde. And that was the best training. It's almost like getting in a jet with a pilot to see where he drops bombs so you can call him in. Yeah. Once y'all started talking to us and we understood your language Greek mm-hmm. then you would dumb it down for us. Yeah. And then it was e- easy day.
3: And a lot of it can be dumbed down, you yeah. know, as technical as it can be. You're right. It can be, you know, a little bit like fixing a car on a much little more technical level, but for sure you can dumb it down and in in the end you know, as far as the major causes of battlefield trauma and death, not a lot's changed since World War One and Two. You know, stop the bleeding, support oh, yeah. the airway, one percent,
2: promote circulation.
3: Uh, it was so cool because I remember when you when y'all would yell at us and be like, "Man, just
2: all right, just tell me what, to say it easy." And you'd be like, "Do that." And I'm like, <laughs> "All right," and I didn't remember the big words until a younger kid came in and I was trying to sound, you know, I was like, "All right, this is what this is." Son. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for the knowledge that y'all have going in there, and, and it's just, it's not. I don't, say, I don't mean to say dumb it down. It's like you just learn how to speak a different language. That's you right. Like translate Greek into, into whatever works in here. Yeah. And those teachers that can do that made it so much more easy for us to operate. Yeah.
3: That. Just like good doctors stateside, you know, those that can translate this complex situation into something understandable for the patients, that's, that's the doctor you want, the ones that you gravitate to.
2: That's a great point. Yeah, especially back here when they come out reading all that stuff off the paper and no one knows what it is. Yeah. It's like, no, you're supposed to break this down to, to a children's book when you delivered it to me, right? <laughs> Don't do this, do that.
4: Okay, so you are in the Humvee. It's yeah. pitch black at night. Yeah. You're approaching a true battlefield for the first time. What will take us back to that?
3: Yeah, so the, those those three days were just kind of an onslaught of, of emotions and, and energy, good energy. You know, I, I at this point, I just wanted to get it done. I had come to that point where I'm sure every day military member does everywhere he does, where you realize, I just need to get the job done. I just need to get to the next day and the next day and the next, because the only way I'm going home, earning the right to go home, is by finishing the mission. So that was uh, giving me some, some adrenaline and, um, and really just pushing me forward. We made it up to Fallujah. Our FOB was a small little camp that Saddam had used, they said, as a terrorist training camp. I think it was about a quarter mile in circumference. They call it Camp Mercury at the time. Change the name over, over the years, small little fob. And, uh, we turn over with the army, do left seat, right seat, you know, for about five days, learning our new jobs and we get to lay the land. And then we're on our own. I think it was the third night there. I'm uh, in the ping pong tent with captain McCall. I made some, my best friends, you know, to this day who are Marine Corps officers, captain Jamie McCall was one of them. Uh, Mike Butler was there too. We're playing ping pong. And uh, I'm sitting on the sideline watching the game. I hear a little thud in the distance, nothing, maybe thunder. Then that thud becomes a pretty significant boom. Like maybe a large truck backfired out uh, behind the, the wall. And then the next one, like it landed on her head. And it was mortars and they were just kind of sequencing in. And uh, so then, you know, it's chaos. The, the tent clears, I grab my flak. Miss my weapon. Of course, that's in my head. I can't leave my weapon. But we're trying to exit the tent because they're dropping, and uh, it's pitch black. I can't see outside and have time to get my, my light on. I grabbed um his shirt sleeve, and he's saying, "We got to get to the battalion aid station." I said, "I left my weapon." He said, "Leave it." And I said, "All right." You know, I realized that was more important to get to you know to a hardened structure. So that was that was you know open opening night into the mortar attacks. And, and, and that was the first time I knew and felt what it was like to, to have somebody out there want to kill me. And that's, that's really the only way I can describe it. It was the first time my brain recognized that gravity, that that person wanted me dead you know, out there.
2: Oh, there's a shift. There's a huge difference. Yeah. If that's never happened to you? I'm not like, even talking about it. I'm talking about it was personal.
3: Yeah. There's a difference. Right. And those mortars became a regular experience, you know, for for our entire deployment. Didn't
2: y'all make a, uh, a shirt after it? it? Had all, every night, like a, rock, like a rock concert? I saw a couple of those bebopping around. That's a
3: good one, I think I have seen that shirt. It, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. It, had
2: every, it had the night on it and how many shells came in and yeah. stuff, which was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant.
3: And we did kind of make games at it. You know, that's how you get through these kind of things. My corpsman would teach me how to understand, you know, how far the mortars were landing by the, the sounds. They didn't hit in, inside the walls um, for a while. Of our of our little base, and you know, fortunately, they weren't very good at aiming. They'd drive in little trucks in the middle of the night and shoot them out of the trucks, and then you know, scurry away. And I grabbed you know one of the Marine Corps officers, and I said, "How come we can't get those guys? What's what's our deal? You know, we're in the United States." And he said, "Well, you know, don't worry. We're we're you know we're tracking them down. We're getting locked on, and you know, the counter artillery we'd hear going out from the the next base over, which was called the Mech at that time. So they would track the incoming and then send out counter battery." Nevertheless, you couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop these mortars or rockets. They're just kind of lobbing them in. So anyways, uh, you know, we're there for just a few weeks and then uh, one night get called to the COC, Command Operations Center. And uh, I knew it's something big, didn't know what. And we get in there, it's about 15 officers, myself, uh, Lieutenant O'Connor and uh, General Mattis. He flies in and then he walks in the room attention on deck, all that kind of thing. And uh, this was like being in a movie for sure. You know, the Fallujah battlefields up on a projector screen. I've got a little dip in my lip. Did that a few times with the Marines. Um, yeah. And I feel that, you know, that adrenaline rush again. And, and General Mattis comes in and gives orders to, uh, to the officers of how it's going to go down in Fallujah starting the next day. So that's the uh, that's night we, the battalion got orders to attack Fallujah. And then during that time, you know, my, uh, the battalion commander told me where we'd be positioned, which was at a position called the Cloverleaf. Do you remember that position, mm-hmm. Marks? Yeah, yeah. So I figured you would. It was, you know, the most tactical uh, position for us at the Cloverleaf, which they call it because from above it, the freeway on-ramp and off-ramp looked like a Cloverleaf. And they um, pushed us out to the Cloverleaf as the attack was commencing into Fallujah and set up our field battalion aid station right there. And um, that's when things got wild from a medical standpoint at the Cloverleaf.
2: How long did that take? To push out to the Cloverleaf? No, by the time when y'all got to the Cloverleaf, when the first guy came back. As a casualty? Yeah.
3: We were there just for... It wasn't very long, right? No, not 24, 48 hours. That's what I thought. Yeah. We set up, set up shop. I was at the, the main base just for the first 24 to 48 hours. Lieutenant O'Connor went out, and then we would uh, change out yeah. him, and, him and I. A Convoy would come through, and we'd, uh, we'd change out. And man, that was wild because everything was happening at the Cloverleaf. You know, amphibious assault vehicles were coming through, tanks were coming through, Cobra attack helicopters coming in, you know, laying down rounds, and, and um, Marines pushing in, you know. And the battle's just right there. And uh, again, as a physician, I get there and I'm just going, all right, God, I knew that I signed up for some of this, but really? (laughs) And I just had to kind of sometimes laugh, sometimes cry, you know, because again, I, I just was having a tough time reconciling with my fate and I wasn't accepting it all the way. And, you know, I felt tough and like I was doing my duty, but I hadn't fully accepted being there and being in harm's way as much as I was. We received some rockets. One of them hit so close that it knocked us off our feet. It hit right on the on-ramp or off-ramp, whichever one it was. And, um, you know, the, 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 the smokes come wafting through and stuff like that, and this was kind of comical. We all dove in the back of the ambulance, one on top of another, like a rugby team. And then, hey, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You can peel off type thing. So those times for me personally, emotionally, and spiritually, and you know, of course, I write about this in the book, was when I was just really struggling to kind of keep together. And I did outwardly, but inwardly was not doing as well as I wanted to be. Not the cloverleaf. It's tough man when uh it's it's almost as if the at it's
2: that moment when the old you is, is kind of that that moral kind of like, well it's about he's about to die because when war kicks off you, the other transition you can't have, both of them can't exist right and is it if, it seems like well that's terrible, and I was like yeah in the beginning it's hard, it is, but then everyone talk, always looking back on it what the knowledge and wisdom you gain from it it can only ha- happen one way from the beginning to upward, that's right. So <laughs>
3: there's only one way to go. I, I, was, like, I was like, all right, if we got to start at the base. This is probably it. <laughs> at the bottom, you know, go from there. I was like, all right. And then every day. So if I can, I'll tell you about kind of what turned it around. And um, the event that turned it around was the first major battlefield death in the book. That's Lieutenant Jackson. He, so we're getting, you know, the Marines are brought to us after the, cor- you know, the, the line corpsmen in the field did what they could, and then they'd bring them to us at the Cloverleaf, usually by Humvee. Sometimes radio contact telling us, sometimes out of nowhere. And uh, casualties come in, we had some litter stands set up, some stretchers. In the beginning, we, did, we didn't even have that, so we were on the ground. And uh, Lieutenant Jackson comes in, and he's he just looks horrible. Did he come in on wheels or rotor? Wheels, no. wheels. And by the way, I changed some of the names, just to yeah, protect some of these Marines, so it's Lieutenant Jackson. He comes in. He looks bad, and um, just f- from the moment they bring him out of the Humvee, I'm thinking, "My God, how's this? How's Marine even alive? How is this even possible? Do I even... Should it all end here? Because I, I, know, he has a he has a severe head wound, and I just know his chance of having any meaningful life are extremely dim. And you know, I'm even thinking, you know, what should I do? Type thing. And within seconds I know the answer is we've got to proceed all out efforts, everything we can do because every person here, every Marine needs to see us doing that for each and every one of them. They don't want to see anything less than that. So we go to work. That's how you say that. Yeah.
2: A lot of people won't say it like that. Mm -hmm. But that's because they've never been in one of those, but I mean, when when you're, that's right. That's one point.
3: Yeah, yeah, they got to see nothing less. So we go to work on the ground. And uh, it's wild The battles in the background, helicopters flying above. And so I was trying to describe what's, what it's like to practice, you know, casualty combat care, field medicine in this environment. And uh, I, I described it as it's like ballet with a bull because you've got this beast, this animal. And by the way, I went to this PBR rodeo and they gave me a wonderful award and they loved that line. <laughs> ballet with a bull and set it over the microphone that was in Sioux Falls uh, you've got this beast war the war animal and everything that's going on around it and then you've got to practice this you know what I consider almost an art you know, medicine and I think it's beautiful in its own way you got to learn to work within it and understand it you know to be able to control it and operate in it it's like those, like those bull riders do performing their ballet that's so a good, that's a good one isn't that good? I that's that's that.
2: good. I, I it, Throw it, throwing it in a dryer and try to wipe your ass with your elbow. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's good. Was <laughs> that's a told only. That's brilliant. Yeah.
2: Y'all come up with the best
3: ones. <laughs> so, we, so we do everything we can for Lieutenant Jackson. And Marcus, we have to do a, a surgical airway, crike. And um, it, it was very challenging. We were successful, thank God because that's the last thing I wanted, you know, to do is try to, you know, get an airway established and not, and not do it because it's clear when it doesn't work. But we, we did it and we got the bag hooked up, providing, you know, artificial respirations and um, got my cormorant around me and uh, in not too, you know, it's only minutes, but he doesn't make it. And so, you know, I I realize when it's over and um, I give the, the, you know, Order to hey stop resuscitative efforts. I think he's gone, and we all just kind of we're in a circle, oval, and we all just kind of lean back on our on our haunches, kind of like an elephant kneeling down, and instinctively just put our arms around each other. And um, there was an AP photographer at the Cloverleaf that day. I had no clue. You know, they just come and go type thing. And he snapped a photo, and the one in the book, and it's been in a n- number of circulations. You may have seen it. Very powerful. And uh, I just lead a prayer, didn't know exactly what to say, but the, the corpsman and the Marines got the point and I just prayed for honor and strength and the ability to go on in the fight and, and uh, stand up for our you know brother who, who died here today. And that was it. And then I said, let's get up, get ready for the next. And we did. And everybody performed bravely and it, it was a horrible tragic moment, but it was also a beautiful moment. And I'll never forget that.